Another edition of the Behind the You podcast. I think this is actually pretty good timing on our part. Eric Winston joins us. Eric, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. So this should air the week of Texas A&M. And you're a Texas guy. That's about the best tie we got here. Week of game. But we'll talk about some of that other stuff later. We'd like to kind of tell your story, our, our guest story. We'll just get right into it, Eric. I do remember, so when you switched to from tight end to offensive line, I was kind of my early stages of my broadcast work with UM. And I remember Don Bailey Jr. just kind of whispering off into the distance that this was a good move and thought it was the right move. This is going way back when. But I guess my question for you, Eric, to start is just the first time it even was broached to you, like where, who, when? Yeah, so, you know, my freshman year, I was playing tight end and, and you know, Kellen Winslow and I were the two tight ends and I was doing the blocking, he was doing the catching. <laughs> and so, and it really started coming up really kind of during that year we had I wouldn't say we struggled on offensive line but there was a few games where good defensive lines had gotten gone after us Rob Trzynski kind of kept me in on a few pass plays just at tight end as like a, a second help the O2 season and so the one we lost to Ohio State in the the national championship game um and is it hard for you, Eric hard for you <laughs> yeah. to say that it still hurts um <laughs> And so that was, and then during practice, you know, I would kind of go over with the offensive line every now and then and just practice some pass blocking because I was starting to do some of that. And it was just kind of part of individual. I'd go get two or three reps in and then and take off and go back over to tight ends or whatever. And you could hear some of the older guys kind of whispering about it then. Um, I don't think I wanted to hear it at the time, but apparently I'd go over and do the one-on-ones and, and do really well at the one-on-ones and everybody's kind of like, wait, how's this guy blocking Andrew Williams uh, right now? Like he's not supposed to do that. And then he'd run off and go catch passes. So I think that was the first time where people were like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe that's a, a good move for him. And quite frankly, looking back, you know, I was 270 as a freshman and I was eating salads every night and doing app circuit in my dorm room to stay under two seven. And that was probably the leanest I had ever been from just a, a body fat uh, contact because I was really, I, I just, I knew in my head, like, wait, you know, Jason Witten, I think was a, he was either a senior then or a, a rookie in the NFL that year. I can't remember what, and he was kind of the big end of line tight end, you know, all American guy at Tennessee. And he was like, 260 so so i was like oh man i, I don't know if i'm gonna be able to stay here if i'm like 10 more pounds than him and like as a freshman like what are we doing and, and it was also the first time i'd really started lifting like i played all sports i played football basketball baseball through high school so why I'd, I'd lifted during you know lifting period and some things like that i never really lifted lifted not, not like you do when you get to college so all of those things were kind of converging and by the end of my freshman year, you know, Kellen goes on to have a, an amazing game in the national championship and just really a really good year overall. And you could kind of see his kind of star rising. And, you know, I, I started thinking about, well, maybe if I really want to play every snap, maybe I need to move to left tackle. If not, I'm going to be backing up and doing some things. And Coach Jajinski had even said to me, don't worry, we're going to find ways to get you in the game. Like we're going to get you in the game more coming up. And I was just thinking like, I don't know how long I can stay under 270. <laughs> and, uh, and so I kind of thought about it over winter break and I got back from winter break and it was like the first time I, I remember this pretty vividly. It was like the first time, like our first lift after winter break coming back and Alonzo Highsmith was in coach Swayze, our, our lifting coach at the time's office. And he's like, Hey man, I want to talk to you real quick. And he had been around, but he never spoke to anybody. I mean, he was a professional scout at the time and that's just not his role. And so he he wouldn't really say much to anybody, especially the act of 
college guys and shot me as straight as I think anybody's ever shot me. He said, listen, you can stay at tight end and you'll be a backup third string tight end in the NFL, probably have a nice career, play some special teams and, and you'll be great. Or you can move to left tackle and make a bunch of money. He's like, the choice is yours. And he just walked out. And so that was really where I'd already been thinking about it, already kind of tossed around my head. It's like, is this, is this some, you know, because coming out, I really had my heart set on, I really had my heart set on playing tight end. I, that's why I went to Miami. It was that they were still running a pro style offense. That's why I didn't go to, you know, the, the spread Oklahoma and all those other places. I, I knew that I didn't fit there. And that, that really the, the Mike Leach spread was in full effect at that point, you know, everywhere he had been, people were copying it, the whole thing. So the air raid offense was going around everywhere, especially around kind of the Texas area where he had made some stops already. So that was a big reason I went to Miami. And, and I think it just got to a point where I wanted to play every day. I thought I could be good at it. And yeah. And then I just, I approached uh, coach Ruzinski about it and said, Hey, listen, I think this might be best for everybody. And at first he was like, listen, I've got all these plans. Like you don't have to move to get in the game. We're going to get you in the game. And, 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 and we came, basically came to a decision of like, let's try it in spring. If it works out in the spring, great. If it doesn't, then we'll move back for the fall. And like, let's just give it a spring. Let's just give it the 15 spring practices. Let's see how you do. If it, you really struggle or you just can't get to where you're supposed to be on it, then we'll go back to the foot. We'll go back and, you know, you know, the offense you've played already. It's not like you're going to miss that much. So I moved over in the spring and kind of won the starting job at left tackle there within, I don't know, probably halfway through spring and didn't really look back. So no more salads at night, I guess, from the from January to spring ball. Yeah, I got the I got to eat pizza and everything else after that. So it was good. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty sad how quickly I got to two ninety after that. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me like how much I weighed in like the middle of the summer, and I was like, yeah, I think like two ninety five. And they were like, Fish. hey, so real quick, actually, I don't know how close you are to the program still, but the the fact that you bring up Alonzo's name relative to that, and and in his role now, I think everyone understands what he had done and what he hopes to bring but the fact that that story applies to you should even just bring more clarity to how he can help sort of forecast in the recruiting standpoint yeah listen I think and I think he would tell you this it's a massive adjustment you know recruiting and trying to uh, talent evaluate high schoolers to college as it is college to, to the pros right. right I mean there's just some kids haven't even you know really fully developed yet like you're really projecting at this point so I'm sure he would tell you that's from a from a, just a pure high school recruitment standpoint, that's been an adjustment. I also think, you know, to your point though, too, he brings such a wealth of knowledge from the pro game, from just understanding personnel groups, body types, how they can fit in. He's all, I'm sure he's also a, a great confidant for Mario from the standpoint of the staff and, and what they need to be doing and what he's seen great assistance and everything else doing. So to your point, I think there's nothing but upside for him being there and having him there. And I think he's he's going to be a big reason why we're going to turn this thing around. Back to you now real quick. So we had the talk with Chud. We're going to give it the, you know, we're going to give it that kind of winter workout to get your body right. Then we'll hit the spring and then we'll just see how it goes. And clearly it went it went just fine. But what did you, other than 
eating pizza. Uh, how did you start to get yourself ready to play that position? Like from a technique standpoint, like figuring out what do I need to do to be a left tackle? Did you know that's where you're going to be? Kind of, I pegged, I was like, okay, the, you know, there was going to be an opening there. I just felt like that's probably the right place to plug in. Vernon was on the right side. Carlos Joseph, they were kind of moving him around. You know, it's like, what's the right fit? I think I thought that would probably be the right fit for me. And that's kind of where we started. What's funny is, you know, run blocking is run blocking in a way. I mean, there, there's different steps there. But when you're a tight end to a tackle, like, and you're trying to block a nine technique, a six technique, a five technique, I mean, a lot of the steps are pretty similar. And I had that mentality coming out of high school. It's from a place where we ran the ball quite a bit. And I mean, the technique's not the same, but that mentality of just willing to stick your nose in there and go dig somebody out, like that's that's not that different. So the run, the run blocking stuff wasn't as I think a bigger thing. Obviously the pass blocking is a huge deal, <laughs> but I was, uh, it's kind of funny. I basically, I looked at it and I said, okay, well, I was on punt team my freshman year. I was a, one of the backup guys. And I said, you know, that technique looks a lot similar to the punt technique. You know, you kick back, kick back, protect your inside, and then go put your hands on the guy coming in the outside. And so that's kind of how the mentality I had. I went over the left tackle. I was like, okay, you know, drop step, drop step, pitchfork, right? And like, that's what we would always talk about on punt team. And that's kind of how I thought about it at left tackle going there. Obviously, as we moved on and, and started getting coached up a little bit more, the nuance of the position and the nuance of pass blocking was, uh, came out. But I really tried not to overcomplicate it more than anything. I think people get in there and like, okay, how do you put this sets, you know, this foot here? And oh, I need to have my foot here. I've always been a guy that I try to play to my strengths. And, and one of my strengths is always my athleticism. Like I, I, I just played a lot of sports. I played a lot of basketball, played a lot of baseball. I, I could bend, I could do things, I could run. And so I really tried to play to what I could do. So I wasn't that worried if my a foot was out of position because I, I felt like I was athletic enough to get back into position if I was. And so a lot of my basketball background came into play, boxing out, doing those things, shuffling, moving your feet. So even if I wasn't perfectly square, I just got out there and I said, I, I, I know I can stay inside of this guy and I know I can force him to the edge. And that's really what I did. I just stayed underneath him and then just ran him out a lot of times. It probably didn't look great <laughs> early on, um, but I wasn't, I just kind of said, I'm not going to get beaten inside. I'm not going to get run over and I'm going to make him go outside. And quite frankly, that mentality really didn't change for me for the next 16 years of when I was playing football. Like that, that was kind of the idea and it, it remains the idea. All these tackles that get beat inside, I, it makes my head explode uh, watching guys jump way out there and then get beat inside because there's so many more ways to win the rep if you force the guy outside than inside. Like there's, there's hardly, I mean, you have to be such a strong guy and there are guys I can do it that will kind of sucker them inside and then jam them. I just was never one of those players. And, and so I always just tried to play to my strength and that was my strength. And, you know, I just leaned on it, especially to those early days where you're still trying to figure out the technique. And who'd you have to go up against? Who was your, not your mentor, who was your competition? Like who, who, who was testing you in those early stages? You know, I remember, you know, Javon Nanton was a guy who was, was, you know, I mean, listen, my, my freshman year, it was Jerome McDougal, Andrew Williams, you know, it was like, holy cow. <laughs> I didn't realize it or fully appreciate at the time how good they were. I was just thinking, wow, I can't believe somebody continues to throw me on my head every time. Um, <laughs> so that was, you know, that was always the tough part of being a freshman. You're like, I guess these guys are just really strong. And then you realize like one's a first round pick, one's a third round pick. One's like the other one's playing the NFL. You know, I'm trying to block down on like William Joseph and Vince Wilfork. They're not moving anywhere. You know, it was a little, it was a lot tougher uh, than you think, but Nan was a great, 
you know, guy to go against him practically. He was really fast, really explosive. He wasn't big, but he was really athletic. And so I knew if I could run with him, he was kind of an undersized guy that we had that actually produced a lot. And I could run with him and move with him. I was probably going to be able to move with almost everybody. Eric Moncor was another guy that was probably stronger and kind of pop you if you weren't careful. And then kind of through the years, obviously, um, Carol, another guy. I mean, we just we had all we had a, a good set of guys there um, when I was there, and and it obviously helped a lot because if you could block those guys, you could usually block anybody. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! So you said by the midway through spring, it was working out, right? So, um, yeah. I, right. So up until that point, uh, it's not a big sample size, but was there any uh, practice where you came back and you said, no, nah, I'm not sure. Did, did it go relatively smoothly and it just kind of progressed? You were, that was, yeah, I would say spot. relatively, right. You're, right. you're always going to have your ups and downs. Um, again, I tried to keep it really simple and I didn't try to think that it was going to be a finished product in one practice, right. It was just a lot of work and, and just continuing to get better and continuing to try to just master the technique. I was something that's been drilled into me when I was a small kid was technique and effort, technique and effort. Just if you can do the technique, you can do the effort. That's all we can ask, right? Like, you know, everything else will, will come into play. And so that's, I kind of just really try to approach it from that, from a technique and effort. And like I said, I think things as smoothly as I think you can make a transition like that, I think it, it it definitely was decently smooth. Can we elaborate a little bit real quick on down blocking on Vince Wolfwork? Just what what happens there? Does it, anything happen? You, you end up staying in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of it. You just try to cover them up and then shield them from everybody else uh, because there wasn't uh, there's not a lot of, of things you can do on that one. Yeah. All right. So um, you kind of brought up how you were raised, effort and technique. Casey Jones has been on this podcast and talked about his time in, in Midland. And then he told some great stories about coming to UM. You're from the same area. You went to see Casey play or like what kind of legend was he in Midland? Uh, he was, I mean, he's the same kind of legend as he was in Miami. I mean, okay. he's, he was the guy I looked up to him and a guy named Ryan Tucker who went to TCU and played 13 years in the NFL were kind of right back to back at, at Midland Lee and you know, I just remember going as a young kid and my dad kind of pointing out there and say, like, watch this guy. He's, he's really good. He was that kind of legend when I was growing up and then obviously went to Miami and then went on and, and won a Super Bowl or two Super Bowls at, at Denver. And, you know, unfortunately, his kind of his knees gave out on him a little bit there. It, you know, you, you look at a guy like that and he wasn't big, right? He's not a big guy when you, by any stature, but he was so powerful, so strong, and it kind of goes back to that technique and effort, right? Like, he played with great technique. He played with great effort, and he loved being out there. And you could tell that by the way he played, right? He loved being out there. He loved doing what he was doing. And, you know, he again, he's still a guy that in Midland that is well-known, and people know who he was. And, like, you know, and I, and I applaud the high school for more than anything, and the coaches that come through that high school, they really, even if they're not, you know, didn't come up, you know, go to that high school, the current one we have now, I'm on a text chain with Casey, myself, you know, the high school coach, and he knows what that that school's produced. And he knows what that that's been through there and what it means to 
you know, we called it Ride for the Brand and and all of those, the great kind of Texas and West Texas type folklore that he, he really leans into it. And, and I appreciate it about him. And so, yeah, no, it, it's uh, Casey is a special guy. I, I got a chance to talk to him. I didn't, I hadn't really met him and I, I knew of him and I met him kind of when I was trying to make my decision to go to Miami and he shot me really straight. He really did. He, What'd he, say? he was, he, he said the first semester is going to be tough. He's like, you're from nowhere <laughs> and, and Miami is a different place. He's like, but if you have the personality for it, you're interested in getting out of Texas. There's no more interesting and unique place that you'll ever go to school and you'll ever live than Miami. And, and he was right. It was one of the most interesting places. I still tell people this day, like there's nowhere else in the country like it. I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world like Miami. I mean, it's, it is, it's such a mosaic of culture and of beauty and of just a lot of fun. And, and to a lot of people it could be too much fun, right? I mean, there's, I've always said that's one of the sneaky reasons I think why guys leave Miami and go do really well in the NFL is that they can handle all the off the field stuff because they had to for the for four years at Miami. It's not like, you know, going to Gainesville, Tallahassee or (laughs) Athens, Georgia, like, and that's not, you know, there's plenty of things to do at state schools, but, you know, being able to go to South Beach and being able to go to the requisite, you know, house party down the street are two different animals right and you really have to be able to gauge that and deal with that and, and that's some of the stuff you deal with in the, in the nfl so yeah i, I i've always kind of thought that not to get off on a tangent but no casey really helped me out there when i was leaving and thinking about really what my choices were and you know he was right what were your choices i was lucky i mean i could have gone pretty much everywhere i really i grew up as a texan a&m and a Notre dame fan my, most of my family went to texas a&m and they were kind of falling off uh with the rc slocum era if you remember rc slocum yep. you know long time coach there and i think they had gone seven and six the year before heading into my senior year and it just got to a point where for me you know i really wanted to go somewhere and play in big games miami was never really on the radar for me i mean i liked it i liked the idea of it but it was sort of like eh, i'll throw it in the mix whatever and as you start as i started really going through the process you know, it just, I didn't want to go somewhere and go 500 and not play in big games, you know, as much as I did. I, and I still kind of root for him because again, my brothers went there, my family went there and I really enjoy, I, you know, I've always kind of appreciated the the culture and the, you know, some people hate, it's A&M's like one of those places you either hate or you love, like you're either totally into all the crazy stuff they do, <laughs> they do crazy stuff. So, or you think it's so dumb, right? It's one of those things, right? And so if you grow up around it, you're like, oh, this is neat. You know, like this is really unique, but some it's not for everybody right i didn't really like mac brown at ut that was you know a teammate of mine uh, went there and and we talked about it and he's like oh, i don't know if this will fit for you <laughs> so it was one of those things where i just i didn't really just identify that nick saban was at lsu same you know ou texas tech all of those guys were doing spread so that right. sort of take it took everything out and then Bob Davey was fired my senior year at, when I was coming out of my senior year at Notre Dame. So they were in flux. George O'Leary, the famous George oh, O'Leary, was right. the head coach at Notre Dame for four days. I, I got a call from George O'Leary. He was going to come see me on Monday. That Monday morning, he gets fired. So that sort of was like, well, seems like they're kind of nuts. In that, like that thing's crazy. A lot of Big Ten schools from that standpoint. I never ended up visiting any of them. But, you know, that was Ohio State's, Michigan's, et cetera. 
and I, you know, I think what really helped me for Miami was the relationship I built with, with Chud. Like I, he was the tight ends coach and the offensive coordinator at the time. I thought that was super interesting. He was a guy that was played tight end there. That was from Toledo from again, not, not necessarily South Florida. And so we really connected on that level and, and we're still friends to this day. So it was something that I just appreciated. And I think that's really probably, if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would actually have made that leap. He was a big reason why I made the leap. And how quickly did it take you to get introduced to Miami, the scene? <laughs> Pretty quickly. <laughs> I, um, I was wondering, you know, now it's like a whole thing. Now everybody does it. And it's, it's great that they do it because I think it's great for health and safety and everything. But I, it was myself and Greg Three were the only two guys were the only two incoming freshmen who came and did the second part of summer workouts with the team. So it was only us two. And I actually had a distant cousin that lived down there and he had an extra room and let me crash with him for the summer because back then you couldn't, the school couldn't really provide well, you right? anything. No one could provide you anything. So my dad dropped me off and I got back and forth from school and started kind of learning everything. And that's, I think that's what helped me become and, and be able to play my freshman year. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. Just as an aside, I've been down here my whole life, but how would you explain a Friday night in Texas, high school football? Well, it depends what part of Texas you're from, but most parts are pretty similar. Um, how about uh, we'll just your experience at Midland? Yeah, Midland. It was awesome. I, I Listen, if you're into sports uh, or really any extracurricular activities, like, you know, Midland is five hours from everything, right? It's five and a half hours from Dallas, from El Paso, from Austin. It's two hours from Lubbock. So there's, that's all that's there. The high school and prep sports and prep activities, you know, bands, a huge thing. I mean, the, the whole deal. And it's all really well funded, which is nice, right? Like you, it's kind of oil country, you know, the last, <laughs> since I've left, it's been really good. <laughs> when I was growing <laughs> up, it wasn't great. But so, you know, from, from that standpoint though, if you're an athlete, it, you love it, right? Because everybody comes, everybody supports it. The community comes and, and supports it. Having 10,000 people at your high school football game was not, I wasn't that big of a deal. That was like a normal Friday night. People showed up to support the team and and to to root on the team. And that was just embedded in the culture, right? That was just part of what you did. I mean, there were plenty of parents there that either had former kids that, that had gone and, and they still come to the games, or they had younger kids that were going to play and they came to the games. And then obviously the, the rest of the parents that were there and just people from the city. I mean, it's a, when I was growing up there, we were maybe a hundred thousand people and there would be at least 10% of the population would be at the game. You know, it's, it was that kind of a, kind of a culture. So it was great. I mean, we had a beat writer, like the Midland reported <laughs> telegram would have a beat writer that would follow the team. Right. It was Midland high and Midland Lee. I went to Lee and, and so, yeah, it was just, it was a great place. And then, you know, basketball was the same, baseball, you know, everything. It was all, again, there was never a shortage of Little League fields, of basketball courts, of football fields. I mean, everybody was passionate about it. Everybody cared about it. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I mean, if, if you're, like I said, if you're into it and you're, you love doing it, it's a tight knit community that just supports the kids that are coming out of there. And again, like I, I always say this, it's not just sports, like 
I remember the band marched in the the New Year's Day parade in New York City. They were in the Rose Bowl parade one year. I mean, they everybody. It was always like, hey, what is that all the kids doing? Like, we're going to support them because that's we didn't have a college to follow. We didn't really have a you know, it was, everything was five hours away. So everything was sort of like, yeah, we follow the Cowboys, we follow the Oilers or whatever back in the day. But that's not what we're passionate about. We don't we don't. It's not like our hometown team. Eric, what um, I think I t- this came up with KC. So two things. One would be when you first stepped on. Oh, so you got there early. You walked into that locker room at you know they were at the they were at the very top of college football, right off of 2001, heading into 2002. I think they hadn't lost a game in 20 whatever games. Two things: a, what was it like walking into that as a freshman? What what did you sort of encounter? And then two, coming out of that football culture you came out of uh, from Texas and the importance of it. Did you think you were somewhat well prepared to at least handle it at whatever level you were handling it at being a freshman yeah i don't think you're ever prepared for that right but i was i was better prepared than all the other guys coming that's in, what yeah that yeah sense. we'd won three state championships in four years you know as much pressure as you could have as a high school kid i guess that was that i had that and 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 so the expectations didn't surprise me that's honestly that's the reason i went <laughs> was was the expectations were to win multiple national championships like that was that was the expectation that's what we were working for and so for me you know that's that's why i went so i, I never looked at it as as stressful or anything like that it was that, that's what i was seeking right was was that sort of environment so for me it was like oh, okay good i'm in the right spot what was the vibe of the team what was the vibe of the players like what were you coming into yeah um ultra competitive nobody's above each other everybody works and help the team Right. And like, and if you didn't do those things, you were confronted pretty quickly about by it. By players. But yeah. Oh yeah. By players. Yeah. I mean, the players still ran the show. Right. And that was, that was a, a bit of a, a, probably some of the changes that probably happened over the, you know, four years. And I we were still pretty good when I left, but it, it kind of dramatically dropped off. Some of it was recruiting. Some of it just, you know, I think we could probably get into a whole, I have a whole theory of, of why things dropped off the way they did, but um, we can get into that or, or not, but yeah, I mean, it was still a very strong culture. John Velma, DJ Williams, you know, uh, were, you know, especially Velma was the sort of the, the leader of the defensive group. You know, Vince was a young guy when I was coming in, but he was already becoming who he was on, on offense. You know, Dorsey, Brett Romberg, those guys ran the show. I mean, it was, I, I always remembered like, I don't know, we had won a game and and we were, we were, we were way up on somebody and we fumbled a snap. And we're in the film room the next day and judges say, what happened here, guys? Like, and I remember Brett saying, it was my fault. I didn't get the ball up. And I remember Dorsey then saying, it's my fault. I didn't have my hands underneath and and I needed, and then they started fighting each other whose fault it was. And that was the sort of, that was the accountability that that team had in that who those guys were. And, and I think why everybody was good. I mean, you see your two team captains kind of fighting each other on like, no, no, it was my fault instead of passing the buck, right? I mean, that's a stark difference, right? I think of most programs, most teams. And that's when you were like, I, I just remember thinking like, wow, that's really impressive that, you know, they're, they're not actually saying like, oh yeah, yeah, he wasn't underneath. It was, no, I'll, I'll fix it. I think that's very illustrative of why that team was really good and why we almost, Almost did it again. Are you surprised Dorsey's a coach? No, I, I'm surprised. The only thing I'm surprised it took him this long. Like, like he did the whole <laughs> scouting thing for a while, and I always look at. I'd see him, you know. I'd always see him on the road, and and you know he worked for Chud for a while um, in Carolina, and I don't know if it was just 
the family stuff or didn't want to put the hours in or whatever. But I was, I mean, that was always sort of a natural, like, well, wait, what, why are you not coaching? Because he was always that guy. He always understood the game so much better than everybody else. And um, yeah, I, I, I just, I kind of laugh now. A couple of the guys were just like, I don't know. He should have been coaching seven years before this. <laughs> be head coach now. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. We've a lot talked a lot about effort and technique, um, Mr. Winston. But obviously, there's a lot of just pure, unadulterated, ridiculous talent, like just athletes that you played with. A story or someone that, like, when you first saw them, you were just like, "Oh crap, that's that's a dude." Like, that's that's I've never seen something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many of them. There really, I mean, it's like I, you know, obviously Sean Taylor was a special guy from the beginning that I saw. I mean, he's he was six three and he could run around in safety and he nail everybody even in practice like it didn't matter and he was just a he just looked he just you know you look at it like a that's not what a safety is supposed to look like but yet he's still getting all the balls and everything uh dj williams uh, i remember remember we were running like an iso play at dj and the and the fullback trips and ends up like cutting him in practice which you know you're not expecting that or nobody does that obviously and so dj like I can't even show you on this, but he, he got his outside leg knocked out from under him, but he, he threw his shoulder over the other side and, and like basically spun in the air to keep his feet and then ran down the, the running back. So basically like, like he basically like pure pirouetted in, in fact, the air. Yeah. He just basically gets, you know, cause he wasn't expecting it either, but pirouettes. I thought I just remember I was just sitting on the sideline watching that like, holy cow, like look at that. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's, it was that stuff, but it was pretty frequent. I mean, you'd see just these like ridiculous uh, athletic talent. I mean, you'd see Kellen making one-handed catches before one-handed catches became cool. That kind of stuff is, is you know, he just reach up and like palm it. Um, I just ran into, uh, I just ran into McGay. He, uh, he was at one of the camps this summer Willis. and, and like shook his hand and like he swallowed mine and yeah, like Willis was then that gave him a pat on the shoulder, like to say, nice meeting you, whatever. And I was like, dude, like built like a brick house he was i mean he's i mean incredible uh vernon carey was a guy that whether on the field in the weight room like he would do he he didn't he had no idea how strong he was at that time i mean none like he was just so physically gifted and he would just take a guy and just toss him i remember playing in boston college one time we we're sitting in the film room because we played next to each other and he just ragdolled somebody so bad and just remember looking at him and he was like I don't know. Like that's why I just I just panicked and threw him down. Like, and uh, you know. And by the so way, he's like the nicest dude in the world. Nicest guy in the world. Nicest guy. Carlos Joseph. You know, God rest his soul, was the same way. You know, he, he was he was the nicest dude in the world. Los was awesome, and you know, gutted that he passed. Uh, but he was fantastic. He was another freaky strong guy that, you know, the technique stuff really did not resonate with him, but just from an athletic standpoint and strength standpoint, he did a few things. I remember he got out of position on a power clean one time and freaked out and then just like picked up like 300 pounds. Like, he's like Oh, and I was like, wait, you, how did you do that? Like there was so many of those uh, and so many of those guys. That and then Calais was, Campbell walks in the building. You know, Calais was one of those guys where, you know, for a year and a half, we were worried that he wasn't going to be big enough. Right. Like he was six, eight, like two twenty, and looked like he was one ninety. Right. Like he was always so skinny. And I remember Coach Shannon always saying like, he'll get to two seventy at some point once he just keeps, keeps getting older and he's going to be, he's going to be a beast. Like he's another guy there that just, 
he was amazing. Like again, he, I would say he was a guy that didn't even come close to reaching his full potential in college. And I don't think it was anybody's fault. I just think his natural growth patterns, like, I mean, you talk about a guy, I mean, he's probably a borderline hall of famer at this point. If not, you know, he's close. You know, I would say Andre Johnson was another, I saw Andre Johnson. I, I was fortunate enough to play with him in Miami and then play with him for a long time in Houston. And I think he was one of the best players in the NFL for a good three, four year stretch. And it wasn't close. Like he almost won a game in Arizona for us. I mean, literally took two dudes and just drag them into the end zone type stuff. Like, especially in the NFL, you never saw that stuff. So he was, Andre was so special um, just as a guy and as a player. So, I mean, there was, again, you can, you can go down the <laughs> roster and like start thinking about like all the, how crazy it was, but you know, you're starting thinking about NFL hall of famers. I, I really believe, I, I believe Sean, Sean would have been a hall of famer. I mean, he was on track for that. I think Kellen, if he didn't mess up his knee and get in that motorcycle accident, his freshman year, his rookie year, probably, I, I really believe he would have been kind of that bellwether trendsetter as the tight end started shifting more and more towards receiving I think he was special. He already showed signs that he was special on bad knees, but I think he would have been right in that conversation. I think Andre is a Hall of Famer. Um, I think Vince is probably close right there. And you start thinking about how many Hall of Famers, NFL Hall of Famers, that's, that's insane. I think that's really special. Calais is probably a borderline guy. You know, so you're, you're starting to think about three, four, five, you know, you're starting to kind of get out there of like what it was. That's how talented those teams were. It was, it was insane. It really was. Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in Ten Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com. Just if we're going to forecast a little bit to what Mario is trying to do. At some point, when you have that level of talent, right, it creates insane amount of competition, which I think does that probably also help manage the personnel that, hey, look, if I got dudes on either side of me that are that good, I can't not not do my job? Yeah, listen, I think any time that you build a culture of competition and competitiveness and mentality, like you, you don't want to let your you don't want your buddies down, right? And I think that's what you you, you never want to let your buddies down. And I think that's I'm sure that's what he's going for and, and going after and bringing in and stuff. I do think it's different now. Um, and I'm not saying it's worse. I just, it's different now. I think, I think there's a certain level and I'm the player representative guy saying this, even there's a certain level of, of the ability to transfer so quickly. I don't think that's healthy necessarily. I do think to your point, like, I think everybody, I remember staying up my freshman year wondering like, I don't know if I'm going to make this, like, I don't know if this is going to happen for me. Right. And I think, Sometimes you need to suffer through some of that stuff to get to the other side and to be a better player and to find out what you're made for. And I think sometimes being able to take yourself out of that situation so quickly, I think as a young guy, I think is not healthy um, for them, for growth, for just being becoming a, an adult. So again, that's, you know, there's no way to probably figure that out. You know, either it's too restrictive or it's not restrictive enough or whatever but everybody goes through it. Everybody's going to have a time where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make this right. Like I did it in the NFL, did it my rookie, my freshman year at Miami. Like, you know, there's only so many times you can get dropped on your head by like Jerome McDougal. And you're like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Like, I don't know if I can play here. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think everybody goes through, but yeah, I mean, you, again, you just go back to the, to the runs, to the lifting, to the practices, like, 
ultra competitive, don't want to let your teammate down and, you know, win the day. And that's, I think, you know, if we get back to that at a high level, you know, it's, it's, there's not a, it's, it's really hard to do. It's not, it's not like some unknown formula though. Right. Right. So you were there, you, you were going to touch on this. I don't know if we'll go on the complete tangent. Um, I may not be healthy for this podcast, but you were there at sort of a transitional phase for the, at the beginning of the transitional phase. And, and I didn't want, I don't want to get into the, the whys per se, but was there a, a game over those oh three oh four oh five? Was there a game or a loss where you it sort of you were totally caught off guard, like didn't see it coming, like one of those kind of deals? I think all of them. Like I, I don't I don't remember <laughs> if I went into a game thinking like I don't know if we're gonna be able to win this one. No, uh, but more so like I didn't see that. Like whoa, what just happened? Yeah, I would say like two or three stick out in my mind. Um, well, I mean, again, most of them. I, it's I think you know the way we got beat at VTech my sophomore year. Was that thirty-one seven? Was that the one that was thirty-one yeah, seven? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. not didn't play well. No one played well. But I, that I, you know, the V Tech at the time was really good. We're right. up there in the night game, tough, tough place to play. I think it was just the way it went down more than anything. I think the Tennessee game was as a that year we lost ten six. You know, we we didn't score a touchdown. That was a tough one because you went you at we actually won that game and we won out like we did. I think we would have played for the national championship again that year. People forget that we were that close. We were like eleven and two that year. Right. We would have stayed in the Orange Bowl. Like it was still a really good team. We just, you know, struggled at times. And that was beginning of the struggles on some of the offense and and didn't get it right. Um, I think my last game at LSU against LSU in that ball game, you know, we were it was right there. We was I think it was eleven seven at halftime or something like that. It wasn't like they were kicking our butt in the second half. We kind of got our butts kicked, and you know, Georgia Tech I think was such a letdown the 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 last game of the regular season. That was a hurricane game. We should have played early, and then it had to play them late. Blew a chance to go to the ACC championship and play for that. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I, I don't I don't think any of the losses I look back and say I can't, you know, all of them, I, I, I can't believe we kind of lost them in a way. You know, it was never a time where I felt like we were ever climbing up a mountain. Maybe I should have thought of that, but like I didn't at the time and I still don't. It was just, um, you know, we, we definitely didn't, weren't able to kind of keep that same sort of, I think, all the way around culture mentality. I, I blame myself some for that. I was a team leader at the time and and couldn't get the guys right I think again I think looking back probably the recruiting had fallen off probably much more substantially than I think anybody wanted to admit and you know unfortunately things kind of went downhill I forgot this but you were got hurt in 04 ripped your ACL which back 20 years ago I don't what's that more than that yeah I feel like obviously medicine has improved so I think now you'd rip your ACL I think there might be some more confidence in the return, but 20 years ago, when that happened, you're thinking what about your career? So mine was really severe. Mine was not just an ACL. So I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, my the, Damn, the, the muscle that the whole thing, into, like, one of my, one of your quad muscles called your VMO. And it was really, it wasn't as bad as this, but it was akin to what Will's did. It was really, it was actually kind of borderline close. And I, and I, the only difference is I didn't, I somehow the Uribe said he's like i know you don't want to hear this but you're you're kind of lucky and i was like please explain that to me <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sitting here thinking like hey i might leave early i might have a chance to go to the nfl and now like i'm holding my leg uh up 28 to 3 in the middle of atlanta and my foot's you know you know almost 90 degree different like i don't feel pretty lucky so when my knee dislocated the the meniscus 
rings actually came up and then came down they didn't tear and he's like that's your long-term issue is like you tear those meniscus and like it's just you're gonna be battling arthritis for a long time he's like so i, I do think he's like as bad as this is and he's like and it's bad i think you're gonna have a chance at a full recovery but it's gonna be a long road and you know i look back and i you know these are one of those moments in your life i think that is you know you look back and say you know it probably happened for a reason I, I, things had gone probably too well for me by that time in my life. You know, I'd face some off the field adversity, you know, you know, parents split up at a young age, but you know, they were great. Like there wasn't, that wasn't that big of a deal. I, at least I look back and don't think it was that big of a deal, but I, my star had kind of trended pretty positively for a long time. We talked about the transition to tackle things happen. You know, people after the Orange Bowl were talking about me leaving early, and I I couldn't even comprehend that. I'd hardly ever – I hadn't been to an NFL game at that point. Like, I'd never even seen an NFL game. And they were talking about me leaving early and playing in them and the whole thing. And there was just some moments in that rehab there, again, where you're tested. And, you know, it, it was it was touch and go there of, am I ever going to be able to do this again? And it was really, really tough. And I, I was fortunate in a way – you know, and you never say fortunate, but, you know, Willis had his injury and they, I kind of got put on the same rehab schedule as he was. And he was like, we're going to switch some things around because you don't have a, you know, he had fractured his bone a little bit. I mean, his was really horrific. But the physical therapist that we used was the same guy. He was Edgar Abedian. I still, you know, I don't, I don't talk to him again. I don't talk to him in a long time, but he was amazing. He was just an amazing PT. Uribe did an awesome job with the surgery. And it was one of those days, but it was one of those times where, you know, there were a lot of tears and there was a lot of, um, a lot of tough times leaving that rehab where, you know, I couldn't walk for six weeks. I couldn't move. It's hard to get dressed at times and it's hard to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like it was, it wasn't easy. And, and, but it was one of those times where it kind of put things in perspective. And I, I look back and I wish it didn't happen, <laughs> I guess. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, like, I'm probably a better person because it did. And I don't know if I would have ended up the same way if I would have just kept on going through. And then 05, I guess, right? Your last year did, uh, how long did it take you to feel comfortable or secure? I probably wasn't the same guy until my rookie year in the NFL at some so point. A whole another season. Yeah, I mean they they were they were sort of surprised that I was even playing. Like I I, I that was the goal. I was like, I'm going to play opening day against Florida State, and they were like, Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, keep going. Yeah, yeah, let's let's really gun for that, right? And I don't know. I look back and say, Did I do myself a disservice going out there? I probably dropped a little bit in the draft, and I look back and I don't know if that I was the same player there for at least the first half of the season. You know, I have some guys on the coaching staff who would shoot me straight and they're like, you're going to get there. Don't worry about it. But I could tell from them like it wasn't the same guy for a while. So, you know, could you watch yourself and see it, too? Like you go back and film the next day and could you kind of see like, are you trying yeah, to kind you're, of you know, you're when you're 22 and you're coming off of someone like that and you're worried about NFL now, like that was in full focus at this point. Like before that, it was never in focus, like never, ever. Like I never thought about it that much. And now everything that you could think about was like, am I hurting myself for the NFL? Am I, you know, it, that was just the whole thing. And I don't know, like it was, uh, it, I look back and say like, I probably, I, I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I've never looked back and really watched those films other than when you're kind of watching them at the time. Right. So I definitely, after my rookie year and being able to move around without a brace again, 
definitely realized at that point, like, damn, I was a long way away. Sometimes it's good to be a little naive, huh? Yeah, I think you have to be. I, I mean, people kind of people kind of kill players for being a little cocky or a little naive or like whatever. Like, it's a defense mechanism, man. Like, you're out there with a lot of wolves, and you know, if you really kind of focus everything in, like your, your chances of survival don't seem great. Like, if uh, if you actually know what you're up against, so I it's think interesting it's you say that. I think there's actually it's a combination of maybe being naive and and really just ultimate self belief because I think. A lot of guys have been on this podcast from obviously from UM, it's a UM podcast, but like whether it's Portis or Santana or, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it's not really cocky. It's, it's a, there's a belief, right? Yeah. There's a belief that I'm better yeah. than what anyone else thinks of me than yeah. me. And, and it has to be, it has to be irrational at times too, or you're never going to keep pushing because you're going to get beat at some point. There's too many good players, especially if you're playing left tackle, you're playing a corner, you're playing receiver, kind of out there by yourself. And and it's impossible to win all of those one on ones all the time. So you have to kind of like, he got lucky, <laughs> you know, like right. oh, he's got lucky, and that's you have to have that if you're going to survive. Because if you really start focusing the lens on like what's going on, like your odds aren't in your favor, right? And so you have to kind of believe that no matter what happens, like you can figure it out. And I think that's probably why you see a lot of those common threads through a lot of us, even different positions you know, different cultures, et cetera. Whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's like beyond the talent, right? Like the talent's the talent. Some guys like Dan Morgan, it was un, like a ridiculous amount of just work ethic and not that he wasn't talented, but you know what I mean? Like there's, I always would say that in the NFL, there, there's plenty of guys on this roster when there were 90 guys that can make this team. It was not about the talent. It was more about the consistency, the effort. And are you kind of really smart enough to play the game? And I don't mean smart enough. Like, are you dedicated, you know, to right. learning your craft and not making mistakes to figuring it out? So it, it's, there's, it's, 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 as crazy as it sounds, there, there are more guys kind of walking the earth that can 100%. play. It, it is, it comes back down to, you know, that internal belief and everything else. All right. Last few things, Eric, and then we'll cut you loose. So I'm going to put your former NFL PA hat on and see if we can maybe, uh, take a peer at maybe college football or the future of the sport. So do you see collective bargaining or, or a union coming to college football, or do you think that might be healthy? Um, I think at some point, I think there's going to have to be at some point to kind of sort through this stuff. Uh, Congress isn't going to save anybody. And, and, and honestly, I hope they don't like, it's not for them to save. I, I think the NCAA has mangled this entire thing from the very beginning. They have always been reactive They've never been proactive. They've never shown any leadership of any sort through as long as I can remember about the NCAA. They always just sort of plead ignorance and say, oh, it's not our position or it's not us or whatever. And and then they and then when things you know aren't going the way they want to be, like, I can't believe they're the way this is. Like it's someone else's fault. So I think at some point there's gonna have to be some bargain with the players. And I don't know what form that takes, whether it's an actual union, a trade association, some something you know, that goes down that way, but there's going to have to be something because, or what's going to happen is the state laws will start becoming uniform and you'll start basically seeing a level playing field that way. It's just going to be messy until then. So I do think at some point you'll probably some, see some sort of representation. It, it, and quite frankly, people that hate hearing that it's the easiest way to sort of sort this all out. Right. Like, I mean, if you just get a bargain with, basically a large group of players then like the rules are the rules right and like right. whether it's practice time whether it's recruiting whether it's money whatever the rules are the rules at that time you, you kind of it's a different 
baseline set at that point because they'd probably be getting paid for their services but it's sort of like you would have it before where everybody's kind of playing off of the same level playing field and uh, I, you know again i i think this is a time where again the 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 nca has mangled this where the pendulum swung so hard backwards they, they could have let the air out of the balloon so many different ways and kept not necessarily the status quo because you never you're never staying the same but I, I think they could have managed the situation a hundred times better and they just refuse at every step and here we are. And so I, I do think some, at some point there'll be a balancing act. I also think too, the, the market will probably start dictating this. I mean, I think you're going to see donors at every place saying like, this isn't worth it anymore. Right. Like this is, this is not a, you know, paying for a right guard. Like, well, what are we doing that for? It's, it's, it, it you know, we kind of go through a similar NFL mentality of like, we'll get the couple of important guys that are different and then everybody else is sort of like at this smaller level and that's fine too. So I could see it sorting itself out in a couple of different ways, but I do think we're going to like in three or four years, you're, you're going to see a much more normal state regardless of what happens with the employee status. If, you know, if I read this correct, I know as an NFL PA, I mean, I'm sure this is probably important regardless, like financial literacy, like, so how much more important would that be to, to try and create some structure inside of college football for what is happening to ensure that, because they're coming, hell, if it was me coming into some of that money, right, to say uh, for me, for anyone, so, but especially for someone just coming out of high school to even know what they're dealing with. It's hugely important. 25-year-old yeah. given that kind of money, forget 18 is like, I don't know what to do. I worry about the families. You know, I worry about these guys that have come from nothing and, you know, they've got a lot of people, we got a lot of brothers and sisters, they've got a lot of cousins, they've got a lot of whatever. And I saw this and that, that's not a, that's not, a, there's, that spans every culture. I saw that in the NFL of like every walk of life, you'd see guy, I dealt with it, right? Like you deal with like, you know, and, and I'm thankful my family never really wanted anything from me, but you got plenty of friends, plenty of stuff that hey invest in this or hey can i get a couple bucks and like all of a sudden it's just repetitive and it's it, it can get tough so yeah i'd love to see some mechanism again it, it but the the problem i always have with any of this stuff is it comes from a very patronistic standpoint it's never like actually let's help them it's they're too stupid to figure this out by themselves right and that's where i just I, I can't stand like that approach, right? And so that the approach to me needs to be much more about how do we actually help the guys instead of how do we restrict some of this because they're not smart enough to figure it out. Like that, that is right. just not helpful. And I think that what's going to continue to lead down this path that we're on now. Eric, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for getting up on a holiday morning. Hopefully, we'll see you in uh, in Philly. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd love to. I love to try to make it. I um. I have four kids, so I'm very um, dedicated to being at every single thing that they are I doing. I get it. And, um, but I, I really am trying to get to more Kane's things. And now that the kids are starting to get a little bit more grown and you know don't need me there every time, I, uh, I definitely want to make more stuff and make a point to be down there. And Coral Gables a little bit more as well. All right. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks we'll so much, man. Soon.